I'm okay with being uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, that is where my comfort lies in being uncomfortable. Because when I am uncomfortable, it means that I'm learning some new shit. Hi, I'm Cheryl L. Bedford, and you're entering a world gone good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and this is the place where we shine the light or find the light in the darkness to prove yet again this shared planet of ours isn't as bad as social media says it is. In fact, it can be pretty damn good, and pretty damn good is what we are all about. We are world gone good. You know all my requests. I make them every single week, pretty much at the beginning of the show. So here we go. You've heard it before. Here it comes again. We ask you please to share us with your friends, subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen in on. Every time you do, you help more people find the show. And for that, as always, we say thank you. Today, things are going to get a little uncomfortable, or maybe not. It all depends who you are, where you've come from, and how you see yourself, and perhaps more importantly, others, how you see others in the world around you. Let me say this, uncomfortable brings change and change makes us uncomfortable. So it's kind of hand in hand, right? And those things together combined can bring growth if we allow them to, again, for yourself and for others in the world around you. So as many of you know, I have spent the last 30 plus years of my career in the entertainment field. I've worked for all of the four big networks. I've worked for a bunch of cable places. I've worked for studios. I'm not bragging. I'm just giving you a little history on me. And I'm a white male. Sure, I'm gay, right? But I am still a white male. I've been typically very well paid salary-wise. I've never really had to fight or question. I've had no major complaints of what I was paid because as a white male, I pretty much had it handed to me. It's no question. This is what you're going to make. But that is not the case among people who are not white males. And there's the word privilege. That makes a couple people uncomfortable. Again, uncomfortable is the word we're talking about today. But I happen to know that I had a white female uh, co-employee friend many years ago who came to me and said, hey, they're going to hire me. She was working as a freelancer and she said, I don't know who else to talk to. I trust you. They're offering me this amount. And I looked at the amount and I went, um, that's a lot less than they're paying me. And she said, well, I don't want to rock the boat. And I said, no, you, you should rock the boat. Go rock the boat. Back at, you know, bat the ball back and back and forth they went. And she got herself to a salary she was happy with. Years after that, there was a black female co-employee friend of mine, same situation, came to me with a number and I went, ah, and then a question that I went off in my own head. Why are women, specifically women of color, being offered so much less money to do the exact same fucking job I'm doing for you? And that's the uncomfortable conversation we are going to have today. Actually, it's not an uncomfortable one because I'm of the feeling that these shouldn't be uncomfortable. These should be regular conversations. I feel like if we leveled the playing field, if we all just talked about salaries out in the open, this is what the job pays, 
and this is what it is for everyone at this level, that's how maybe the world would work better. Today, my guest gets it. She's what this is all about. This is the discussion we're going to have. Cheryl L. Bedford is the driving good force behind Women of Color Unite. This is her good, uncomfortable story. Cheryl L. Bedford is with me today. She is the founder and creator of the JTC List, which we're going to get to, which is part of Women of Color Unite. Before we get anywhere near any of that, we're going wide and we'll get our way in. Cheryl L. Bedford, I need to know, we need to know, what is good about Cheryl L. Bedford? The best part about me, I am Joan Teresa Curtis's daughter. Uh, So before Women of Color Unite, existed uh, in February of 2018, I just threw an event. And all I wanted to do was to get all of the women of color that I knew in the entertainment industry together. I'm not the type of person to sit around and bitch and complain about something. I'm all about action. So we knew that we wanted to create the JTC list on the spot. The JTC list is now the largest database of women of color above and below the line, JTC. It stands for Joan Teresa Curtis. It, it, those are my mother's initials. That's why I always say, when people ask me, who are you? I'm, I always tell people I'm Joan Teresa Curtis's daughter. When it came time to actually name the nonprofit, that very first invitation that I sent out on that February, uh, February 2018, said women of color, dot, 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 and then all cats unite. And that is where the name comes from. Interestingly, a friend of mine, uh, Nikki Freeman, um, who's a member of Women of Color Unite, one day I was talking about the organization. She said, woke you. And I said, what? She said, did you not realize that the initials for Women of Color Unite actually say woke you? I was like, oh. Oh, so talk about a happy coincidence. Now, Women of Color Unite is a social action organization focusing on fair access, fair treatment, and fair pay for women of color in all aspects of the entertainment and media industries. I read that right off your website. Thank you very much. What does this mean? What what does this mean? And I know what it means because I have a story I want to share with you, but what does this mean to people who are listening who don't understand the opportunity differences, the pay gap differences, the just the open door policy differences, what does all that mean? So here's what I will tell people. We actually have a statistical analysis. My mother used to tell me I don't know what's in the hearts and minds of people and don't even try. She said, but what you can do is break things down to the lowest common denominator. And what that lets them know is you know. So for instance, 40% of women of color leave the industry after 10 years because they don't hit a glass ceiling. They hit a concrete ceiling. These are people with 10 years of experience. 
and they can't, they can't level up. Why? We call it exclusion by familiarity. Didn't go to school with any, don't live near any, don't golf with any. It's exclusion by familiarity. So unless, right, remember, people hire people who look like them. People hire people that remind them of themselves. This is a natural instinct that we have as human beings. So let's, we have to start picking that stuff out of our hearts, our brains, our spirits, our souls, while we actively promote people who can more than do the job. I can do the job. There are, there are a ton of women of color and I'm going to say, and people with disabilities, men of color, so forth and so who can do those jobs. The reason I tend to concentrate on women of color is first of all, I'm a black woman. So, you know, there you go. Uh, but the other thing is, did you know that statistically in the state of California, when a company is run by a woman of color, profits go up by as much as 30%. Did you know that we're the only ones that don't actually need a diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility and belonging section of our company? Because we naturally hire the way the world looks. When you hire the way the world looks, your company actually makes more money. So for people who say, right, because we hear this all the time in the entertainment industry. Well, you know, it was about money and this and about money. No, it's not. And it's something that I always say. And that is white trumps green. It's an interesting choice of word that you use, the word, the word trumps that you use, but keep going. I'm with you. <laughs> and I do that on purpose. Um, so it, it, it's not, a, it's not about green. It's not. And we know this. We know when people hire the way the world looks, do you know the employees take off less time? Employees are happier. The innovation that happens at companies. The more, because do you always want to be around somebody who thinks like you? Or do you want to have new ideas, interesting ideas, ideas that may come out of experiences that you will never know? So the more diverse a company is, the more money it makes, period. Also, we have a tendency to think in terms of the United States of America, which is why a lot of people within this space don't use the term minority. What we say is the global majority. Um, the other thing is, and I've said this multiple times, it's not a pipeline problem. It's a hire my black ass problem. What I mean by that is that it is a union problem. It is all on our website. You can see how many uh, women of color belong to the union, SAG, after IOTSE, Teamsters, locals, even the producers guilt. Like we we have it all broken down. Sorry. I, I just go on and on and on. No, I look, this is what it's, we are all about good things here. We have all kinds of conversations here. And some of the conversations are, uh, they take place different ways, but that's what I'm going to talk about. This is what I want to talk about for a second. There's a white savior complex, which I want to get to with you and get your your opinion on. So I was working at Freeform and I worked, I was creative director, interim, temporary. I had two co-creative directors, both black women. There's that Sandra Bullock movie that she won the Academy Award for where she plays the white single or the white married mom with the family and the, the black runaway kid i can't remember what it's called um the blind side thank you the blind side so the blind side comes up and we're in marketing and promotions it's been on tv a million times we're sitting in a room of people 
one of us has to oversee it and hand it to a producer and oversee the you know creative content that comes out for promoting the movie on our net on freeform at the time both of those black women come right out in the meeting and say give it to steve both of them and i looked at both of them and i was surprised by this very surprised by this and i said oh, okay i walked out of the meeting i went up to one of them who i was closer with and i said judy why did you hand that off to me why did you both think you and i can say first names here kasime why did you both hand that off to me i'm curious and she said because i absolutely she doesn't curse but i'll say it fucking hate that movie because it's all about a white savior and a white savior complex and there's nothing true there's it's it's told completely from the white person's perspective that is my question to you is this a white savior complex that we're dealing with so i'm going to tell this story uh I went to, I have a BFA from NYU film school. When I went to NYU, it was the number one film school in the country. Two years later, I went to the American Film Institute, graduated with a master of fine arts degree from the American Film Institute. Here's the thing. When I actually graduated, there were less than 200 people in the entire world with a master's degree from the American Film Institute. That was when it was part of the National Endowment for the Arts. When I graduated from AFI, it was the number one film school in the country. And actually, right now, uh, NYU is number one and AFI is number two. Impeccable credentials. So back then, because I graduated in, uh, from the American Film Institute in 1993, you know, internet was just getting started. Um, so sending in your resume, I sent in my resume. My name is Cheryl L. Bedford. Again, gone to private school all my life. Every studio that I had set up an interview with, as soon as I walked in, do you know I never got to actually interview with somebody? They handed me one of those diversity um, forms to get into their diversity program, as opposed to actually having the interview once they saw what my face looked like. And I read them and I ripped them up because what they wanted was to be a savior. You, you don't have to save me. And I ripped it up and I swore to myself, if I could ever change this industry, that is why I became an independent producer and line producer. And let me tell you something. It was a struggle. Like it, it, it was absolutely a struggle as opposed to getting into the studio system, working for a production company. That was because everybody wanted that poor little me story. That's not my story. Is it racism? Uh, yeah, but, but it's, it's, the, it's intersectionality. So I talk about what um, Black women make, uh, what Indigenous women make, what Latinx women make. Let's talk about what women of color with disabilities make. Do you know that they make 28 to 32 cents on the dollar? So one of the things that was always very, very important to me and the thing that I knew was that if I concentrate on those most marginalized, those most pushed to the margins, that it will uplift everybody else. My focus is women of color with disabilities. We were the very first group to ever have a panel for women of color with disabilities ever in the history of Hollywood. 
ever. July 2019. At our upcoming gala in March, March 23rd, 2023, 323, 23. We did that so people could remember it. <laughs> I am very happy to announce that Danielle Perez is going to be our host. First of all, it was really important for me uh, in Los Angeles to have a a Latinx host. Like that was really, really important. She's an actor, she's a comedian, and she's a wheelchair user. Like that, that, but that's how we have always rolled at, at Women of Color Unite. And if you read the studies from the National Institute of Health, it actually, there's a direct correlation between entertainment and the way people are portrayed. And then you read studies from um, uh, St. Jane Org, that is the Gina Davis Institute, and how dark-skinned women uh, are the more quote-unquote stereotypic roles. So all of these things actually have an effect on people's mental health. And so these are the things that I'm out to change. These are the things that we fight for at Women of Color Unite. We actually have a saying, we leave no marginalized group behind. Because one of the other things that I've noticed is that people want to concentrate on one thing or the other. So For years, women of color, our stats were either with people of color or women. And it's our stats that actually brought down the statistical numbers from the other two groups. When you pull us out, which is Women of Color Unite, we were one of the first ones to do that because all of our members are women of color. When you pull us out, you actually see just how bad it is statistically for women of color. I don't ask anybody to do the work that I don't do every day. Here is what I think is the difference. I'm okay with being uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, that is where my comfort lies in being uncomfortable because when I am uncomfortable it means that I'm learning some new shit. I, I can tell you, and I'm, I don't want to make this about me because it's not about me, but it is a shared experience. So I understand what you were speaking of. I worked at another major network, one of the big four, and I got the job there and I worked under somebody who didn't like gay people. How do I know he didn't like gay people? I reported to him. I'll tell you how I know. Once a month, he took the entire team out to lunch. I worked there 22 months. He forgot 22 times in a row to invite me. I'm the only out gay person who worked there. And for 22 months in a row, he forgot. After six times in a row, six months, I had people coming back from that lunch, coming in, other producers saying, hey, where were you? And I just shrugged. I didn't know about it. After six months, uh, his assistant and I were talking. And I mentioned, hey, when's that lunch? And she said, oh, it's coming up in a week. I said, okay, just yeah, let me know if I'm invited. So she apparently went into him and said, oh, uh, Steve mentioned the lunch. Um, I'll make sure to put him down. And he said, no, no, don't. I got it. 
And they all went to lunch again, seventh month in a row. And around 14 or 15 months in of lunches that I wasn't invited to, I got a phone call from somebody at the lunch saying, oh, hey, uh, this boss, whose name will go, not said, uh, he forgot, but he said to go ahead and take your order. And if you want to race over here right now, or we'll box it up and bring it back to you. And I said, no, thanks. I'm good. And I hung up. Now, can someone explain to me why for 22 times in a row, he could remember his entire staff to invite? And his own assistant came in and said, what about Steve? And he said, no, no, it's good. I got it. What's, what's the answer there? So the answer is, <laughs> as good as we feel being uncomfortable and we enjoy the change, they don't. So in some ways, we have to force the change, uh, bring it to the forefront. And I want to say again, I am not comparing my experience to yours because we have two very different experiences. We come from two very different places, but we both share that experience to some degree. Uh, absolutely. Any, anybody who has been pushed to the margins. And it's interesting because I saw somebody on Twitter yesterday, day before talk about how, um, that you need, to, uh, it, they actually reposted it from TikTok, how you need to, how, sm how small talk is so important within a company. The problem is, and, and when I saw it, I was like, yeah, but isn't that inherently racist, sexist, ageist, ableist, colorist, sexist, and homophobic? Like it, it's inherently part of the problem, kind of like respectability politics. So for instance, what happened uh, to you? I'm just going to say it. I, I have been let go of many a job. I, I just, I, I personally just, and I'm not saying, and here's the thing. I also understand that people have bills to pay and don't, don't want, can't sometimes don't have a choice but to put up with this kind of bullshit, my mental health is really, really, really important to me. So if I got to go out and get another job, like I'll just, we'll figure that shit out. 100% me. And I have to tell you really quickly, what I spent 20 months doing for anybody listening is saving up every fucking paycheck I had I so it. that I could walk out that door. I knew it. And I think that so much of it is what you said. You just talked about small talk it's just like everything else. Someone from, with all due respect, for, who grew up in Wisconsin, I'm using Wisconsin as an example. I love everyone listening from Wisconsin, who grew up in a small town with all white people, doesn't know how to small talk to somebody with a disability or a gay person or a black person or a person of any non-binary. They don't know how to make that small talk. But the way they learn is to include other people in the fucking group who can bring <laughs> the conversation in. Because again, it's not all about you. People think it's more difficult than it is. So how we grew at Women of Color Unite and why the JTC list is probably, I say, the most successful database. Like just 
recently I asked uh, um, my assistant, she's also our administrator. Oh, and here's the other interesting thing. Nobody gets paid at Women of Color United um, because we can't afford it. And I'll get to that in a second. But I was talking to Nikki and she told me that we had uh, over 300 requests within the last year, like we are the most successful database. But here's what we realized. Very, very early on, we realized that databases, all of them within the entertainment industry are like, are like phone books to white people in the industry because our industry is so driven on relationships that people are like, I don't know what to do with this. Aha. But if you can get them in the same room, you know what happens? They realize that people just want the same things they want. You have a conversation. Here's the other thing. I'm a black woman, so I'm going to feed you. Like, I'm going to feed you really, really well. And I'm going to give you alcohol, and you're going to get real, (laughs) real relaxed. And you're going to turn to the person next to you who may not have, looking at them, have anything in common. And you realize you have much, much more in common than you have differences. That is why people trust the JTC list. And it has to do with our events. So if one person trusts it, then they give it to somebody else who gives it to somebody else, or they tell them about it, and then we get requests for it. It's it's not a searchable database online. You actually have to request it. Also, I'm very good at keeping people's information private. So you have to actually request it. We do our due diligence. Um, I will say every now and then a couple of people sneak in and then try to sell something to all of my members and then they get my foot up their ass. So that happens um, because it's about hiring people. Oh no, I, I, I'm so, <laughs> I'm just going to say this. My grandfather, my mother's father um, had some very, very interesting sayings. So my grandfather had a saying which was this, I will put my foot so far up your ass, I will get shit on my shoulders. <laughs> I kind of live by that <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, and when you were talking about the, the not being invited um, and when they called and, and said, oh, we can bring you something. What people don't realize and why I'm not a fan of most diversity initiatives and programs and is that when you otherize somebody you dehumanize them which makes it easier to treat them like crap and so what has happened is that all of these quote-unquote diversity have actually dehumanized people because you have otherized them right it's the way that I walked in they looked at my resume they looked at my name assume that I did not look the way that I looked when I walked in, handed me a diversity form. They automatically, I went into a different category. I was otherized. And when you otherize somebody, you dehumanize them. So I mentioned how we, women of color, unite. I, I don't, I don't charge my members anything. I ask them to donate what they can, when they can, because women of color make so much less money. Uh, I, I, I can't, pay my staff. Hell, woke you hasn't been able to pay me back the 60 grand I hemorrhaged for two and a half years keeping this organized. I maxed out five credit cards, five, to keep 
us going. And I still can't compare to the sweat equity of every single person who has ever volunteered, helped, staff for at Women of Color Unite. Because you know what we have done? We have gotten in two years, 2,000 women of color, two mentors each in three countries, the US, Canada, and the UK. So here's what I say to all those diversity programs out there. If this is really about meritocracy and getting people jobs, and because people have gotten hired, their projects um, um, funded, and their content distributed, then woke you wins. And here's the thing. I want your money. I want it. It shouldn't have to come from women of color, women of color with disability. That, that's not where the money should come from. It should come from every goddamn studio out there that has made content, and they all have that has stereotyped every last single one of us. So here's the thing, woke you wins. How about the white, white papers that have been written, the statistical analysis that we have done, every event, people get hired at our events. How about all of that? Woke you wins. And I want your money. It shouldn't have to come off the backs of people that you have essentially erased. And as Dr. Okosawa saying, who's our head of education and head of our DEIAB consultancy, says erasure is violence. So studios, production companies, all of these people have actually committed acts of violence by erasing gay people, black people, dark-skinned people, fat people, people with disabilities. Old people, like they have erased us. Yet, 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 they we're supposed to trust them to do better and have all these diversity initiatives. Okay, so we all just supposed to the oppressor, just supposed to trust the oppressor. We wrap up the show with three questions. Don't panic. You know the answers. Question number one: Where do people find you? Where do people find? Women of Color Unite Online. Plug away. So you can go to our website and see everything about everyone and everything that we do. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the JTC list. Uh, that will never change. It will never be woke. You will always be the JTC list because it came first and it's my mama. Uh, the interesting thing is I don't run that account. I try to keep things separate. Uh, that account is actually run by Delany P. Shout out to Delany. Um, as I say, the dopest white woman that I know. Uh, she's like a sister to me. And then you can find me at Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L underscore C-L-B-P on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you know, I talk my shit. <laughs> I talk my shit. So don't follow me uh, unless you're, you want somebody who's going to Say it the way that it is uh, and the way that I feel like saying it. And sometimes I do curse. Um, so, you know, follow at your own risk. <laughs> so that's where you can follow us. Here's the last thing. Women and girl of color run nonprofits in the United States of America only receive 0.5% of all grant and foundation money. 
5% because of that intersectionality between racism and sexism. It was a report that came out in July of 2020. Uh, the report is called Pocket Change. Everybody feel free to look it up. It talks about why. It also talks about the fact that we are expected to do as much, if not more, than similar organizations to us. Uh, I know Women of Color Unite, uh, we're expected to do a lot of the same things as women in film. I will say it. I think we do it uh, better. I think we help more people, um, point blank and period. Um, but that is a national travesty. That it's, but it goes across everything, whether it has to do with dealing with um, the healthcare crisis, homelessness, um, children, after school programs, sports, any of it, women and girl of color run nonprofits in the United States of America get 0.5% of all grant and foundation money. Donate. Donate. There's a donate button at, at wocunite.org. Uh, and here's the thing. If you don't like me, that's cool. Donate to womenofcolorfilmmakers.org. That's run by Londi Maduro. Uh, donate to Justice for My Sister Collective. Um, don't donate. Don't donate to any and all of us. Because here's the thing. A win for Londi Maduro, who runs Women of Color Filmmakers. I consider them my little sister org. They start about six months after us. Uh, a win for her is a win for me. Question number two can go back to anything we've already spoken about or anything you want to say. Who inspires you is the question. Who inspires you? Um, wow. So obviously the very first person that came to mind was uh, my mother and my family. Um, my two aunts actually, uh, sit on the board of women of color unite as does my only female cousin on the Curtis side of my family, my cousin, Carrie, uh, my family has my back, my contemporaries, people like F.E.T. Brown. Uh, she's the, what is she? CEO of game changer. They have film at the Toronto international film festival, uh, today I was texting with uh, Brenda Gilbert, who's a woman of woman of color. Uh, she is the co-founder of Braun um, Studios. There are I have some wonderful contemporaries um, who inspire me every day with the passion for what they do um, and how much of themselves they give to me uh, because this is not easy. My best friend, Milana Gray, uh, she runs Indie Femme, another nonprofit. All of these people, all of them, I'm able to do this because of their love, their support, and their guidance. And the final question isn't a question, it's a statement to finish. And please don't sing it because I can't afford the licensing rights. Tell me something good. <clears throat> uh, tell you something good. See, you don't have enough time 
I would read you something. Um, I'm going to read it and then you can edit it any way uh, that you want. This comes from uh, Diana Romero, um, which is funny because I just did a radio uh, interview and I didn't get a chance to read it all. So feel free to edit this out if you want. But I'm going to read you something. This is from Diana Romero. Several years ago, I met Cheryl L. Bedford at a panel discussing disability in Hollywood. I just transitioned into a wheelchair as MS took my mobility away in 2018. I didn't know what to do or where to go. Somehow, I found out about the panel and my life changed. After many years of working in film production, I made the decision to turn my dream of writing for TV and not leave Hollywood. Now fully immersed in disability advocacy in Hollywood, I have also made strides in my effort to become a TV writer. Fast forward to a few months ago, where I became one of the newest mentees of Hashtag Start With Eight. One of my two amazing mentors connected me with a TV writer slash showrunner for a general. We chatted for quite some time, and the next thing I knew, she was telling me that she was staffing a new show and would I be interested. Of course I was. So I sat down to meet with her and her co-showrunner, which turned into an amazing meeting and interview. Today, I started my new job as a writer's assistant for the new show, the 4400. I am living proof that hashtag start with eight mentorship does work and it is essential to our careers, important for our souls and necessary for sisterhood. Without this, I wouldn't be where I am today. Oof. Thank you, Cheryl, for all you do. Thank you also to all those that work in this mentorship program. My heart is full and I promise I will make you all proud. Now an update. The show, uh, she loved the show, but the show did not move on for all those wondering. Uh, but she did have a, a wonderful experience. I'm happy to announce that Diana is now in the writer's room in the show, uh, Good Trouble. Shout out to her. And uh, thank you, Diana, for letting me tell this story yet again, second day in a row. So when people ask why I do what I do, that. Thank you, Cheryl, for sharing your good. Go visit wokeunite.org, that's W-O-C-Unite.org, to learn more and show them your support. Next time on World Gone Good. I really worked on this a lot during the pandemic, was practicing gratitude. What are you grateful for? There's always something to be grateful for, and, and then actually expressing it. Sunday, November 13th is World Kindness Day, and who better to talk about kindness than Brooke Jones? She's from the Random Acts of Kindness organization, and with so many people angry about so many things going on right now, we need to embrace and celebrate and deliver kindness, don't you think? Brooke shares how she got started with the organization, some tips on being kind when you just don't fucking feel like it, and how you, yes, you can become a activist, a random acts of kindness activist. Sounds kind of good, doesn't it? See what I did there? I said kind of good. See what I, shut up, you don't know me. Until then, be good. <laughs>